And thank you to Meg and Lucy for organising the food for us. It was great. We appreciate that. All right, so if you would like a title for this morning, it's called The Problem with Biblical Womanhood. Okay, and when you hear the term biblical womanhood, what, what are the first thoughts that come to your mind? Um, when you heard the topic for this breakfast, what was your first reaction? Was it um, one of a bit like, oh, here we go again, you know, I roll, heard this before. <laughs> Two, like another one for the married ladies, you know, doesn't have much to do with me, maybe I'm single, or, you know, I'm just a teenager, like, what has biblical womanhood got to do with me? But, you know, my mum's dragging me along here and it's, she might pay for my breakfast, so bonus, free breakfast. You know, maybe you think, you know, biblical womanhood, yeah, I think it was good for my grandmother and probably my mum, but it's just not for me. Surely, you know, haven't things just moved on a little bit? Or maybe you think, you know, maybe it does still work for some people. I see how it works in other people's lives, but it's just not for me. I'm not that kind of woman. Or never you've re- so maybe you've never really thought about it. You've never really heard about it, not in a, really something you've ever investigated. And you just thought, like, oh, I'd like to come and hear more. Or maybe you love it. Maybe you've grown up and you've seen it modelled well and you're here and you enjoy it and you're excited to hear what we've got to say this morning. My point is, whatever our reaction is, we all have a reaction to biblical womanhood. We either love it, uh, we put it in the too hard basket, don't want to think about it, or we hate it. Something that's really grinds every time people talk about it. Um, and it's understandable that sec- in the secular world, biblical womanhood isn't very popular. But I think what we're finding is more and more in the church too. And I'm just wondering, why is that? What is it about biblical womanhood that people find so hard? Is it irrelevant? Is it a bit outdated? Is it something that we should just move on from? Or is there something else going on? You know, many churches won't even touch the topic of biblical womanhood. I remember when Dave was doing a series on it a few years back on a Sunday morning. There happened to be a visiting pastor just on his holidays. And he came and spoke to Dave after the message that he talked. I think it might have actually been the biblical womanhood one. He just said, we just don't do that. Like, it's too controversial, causes too much of a reaction. We just don't go there. Which I think is sad, but it's true. And so why is that? What is, what is going on there? That's what we want, really want to unpack and look at this morning. So just to give you a bit of a heads up of what we're going to do, I'm going to spend probably the first, hopefully, 20 minutes um, just unpacking the uh, creation account and looking at where biblical womanhood began and where the problem came in. And then the second part, we're actually going to break down into smaller groups and look at some more specific passages of what does the Bible actually teach us about biblical womanhood. So that's how we're going to go this morning. So... Before we can look at the problem of biblical womanhood, I think we've really got to start with where biblical womanhood, sorry, biblical womanhood began. So if you could turn in with me in your Bibles, we're going to start where God started, which is in Genesis. So if you turn with me to Genesis 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 through to 27. And I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray for us as God as we open up God's word together. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and, and open it up together. Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. We thank you for the gift that is. 
And Lord, I pray, um, Lord, as we open up your word now, Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly, Father. I pray that I would remember what you want us to hear this morning and forget what you don't, Father. Would you ultimately be glorified in our time together? Amen. All right, so looking at these verses in Genesis, I think there are two things that we notice. I think the first thing that we notice, and number one, (coughs) is the fact that we are the created. Verse 26 says, let us make man. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were made, God created us. And I know that kind of probably sounds a bit like obvious, and like, yeah, sure, I know that. The word created and made is actually used four times in those two verses. But actually, I think when you think about it, it's actually quite significant and has a massive impact on us. You see... If God made us and God created us, which is what we see here in God's word, then we have actually no right to define ourselves. We are the created. He is the creator. We can't then turn around to our creator and say, oh, well, well it used to work, but not too sure it does now. I think I, think I know a better way. Um, I have a, like, uh, well, I have a few sons, two sons. Uh, one of them who is nine and uh, thinks, likes to try and tell me how to drive when I'm in the car. Yeah, goes well. <laughs> and every time he does it, he, and I say, Liam, I said, you, you're nine years old. You do not drive. He's like, I know how to drive. I've driven a car before. <laughs> I don't tend to investigate that because I'm not really sure where that's come from. So, but anyway, he's nine years old and he tries to tell me how to drive. And I think sometimes that's like, what we can do with God. We're like, we are the created. We're these little people. And then we try and tell God, what he should be doing. I think we see it in Job. Like, I love that, where Job's questioning God, like he's going through stuff and he's questioning God, and then God just turns to him and he says, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And it's just like, hmm, yes. Good point. <laughs> he is the creator. We are the created. Therefore, we have no right to define ourselves. And we see the fact that we are created, obviously, here in Genesis, and then we actually see it in numerous places throughout the Bible. But if we look at Psalm 139, verse 13, you don't have to turn there now, I'll just read it for you. It says this, For you, are, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Those words, formed, knitted. Like, when you think about what they mean, it means carefully. Not like, we're not just a production line all like, chugged through. You know, woman line, man line, you know, we all look the same, we'll do the same. You know, he created us all different. He knitted us together. He formed us. Every one of us looks different. Even identical twins, there's differences. Especially then when you start to develop personalities and gifts and talents. He's created all of us different, differently. He has created us. He created us. He also created us female. So which means we don't become female as we grow up. We are created female. You don't become more and more of a woman as you get older. What, you know, it's not like if you get married or you have kids, you've got this amount of kids, then you're more of a woman than this person. God created us female. Therefore, whatever stage of life we're in, whatever season we're in, we are female. We don't become more female. He created us and he also sustains us. Isaiah 42.5 says this, it says, Thus says God, the Lord, the God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and whose spirit to those who walk in it. He gives breath, he sustains us. Have you ever thought about your breathing? Like, I tried to do this the other day, like, do, do it for a few seconds now. Just think about the breaths that you're taking. 
Is it just me that struggles to breathe when I'm breathe? Anyway, the fact that we can breathe, he is giving us us our breath. He sustains us. So this is what we see. God created us, he sustains us, therefore he is the one that has every right to define us as women. We have no right to define ourselves. That's the first thing we see. We are created. The second thing we see is we are image bearers. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And this is what gives us our value and our worth. This, the fact that we are image bearers, we are created to reflect God, that is what gives us our value. Not our marital status, not our jobs, not our appearance, not our health, not what schools we went to, not what HSC grade we got. The value comes from the fact that we are made in God's image. We are made in his image to mirror and to reflect him to the world around us. Our lives are not primarily about ourselves. They are not about ourselves. They are about reflecting God and pointing to him. The people around us, by looking at us, should in some way see a picture, a glimpse of what God is like. That is what we're called to do. That is what we're called we're image bearers, created in his image to reflect him. And we are image bearers along with men. Verse 27 says, In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Both men and women are needed to reflect God's image well. We are created different, but both men and women are needed to reflect it well. That means there's no room for girl power. I know you see it on t-shirts, but you also see it like in churches sometimes you hear it. It's like, we have no power. We've just talked about the fact that God gives us each breath. That doesn't sound very powerful on our part, does it? He could wipe us out at any moment. God is the one that has power. It's not about girl power. It's not about gender superiority. No, woman is no better than man. Man is no better than women. We are completely equal in value, dignity and worth. We are equal image bearers before God. But we do have different roles. In the same way, um, God is a triune God. One God, three persons. Father, Son and Spirit. Each have a very um, important yet different role in our faith and salvation. We have the Father who is the source of salvation. He planned salvation. He sent Jesus. Jesus is the one who accomplished salvation. He came. He lived that perfect life. He died on the cross. Accomplished the salvation for us. And then we have the Spirit who applies the salvation. He is the fetter. He is the one that opened our eyes to the gospel. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. We would not have been able to receive the gift of faith if he had not worked in us and opened our eyes. And he continues to do that. He continues to convict us. He continues to help us grow and change. Each role is important in the Trinity. If they were like battling and like, well, I think I'm going to do your job for a while now and maybe you can do my job, you know, it would just, it would be chaos. And it's the same with us. I, I once heard it put this way, which I thought was really helpful. There's one race, two genders. One purpose, two roles. So there's one race, the human race, two genders, male and female, one purpose, to reflect God's glory, two different roles to play in that. Now, if we are going to reflect God's glory well, we need to make sure we are playing the roles and living the lives he has called us to live as he's defined it. So that's where biblical womanhood began and looked at the creation account a little bit. Now we're going to look at the problem of biblical womanhood. So that's point number three. Why is it that so many people, even Christians, find biblical womanhood so hard? The problem with biblical womanhood. And to look at this, we're actually going to flip over our Bibles to Genesis 3, um, verses 1 to 6. So if you turn over there, we'll read that section. 
says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other, any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what is the problem with biblical womanhood? The problem is us. Our sin. You know, the nature of sin is re- is rebellion against God. We want to do things our own way. We want to be our own God, including defining what it means to be a woman and how we should live our lives. We don't want anyone telling us that. But I think what is interesting about this passage is why he ate the fruit. If you look at where um, where Satan tempted her, it wasn't for the fruit itself. Like She was in a perfect garden. All the trees would have been beautiful. The, the fruit would have been amazing. All the food provided would have been nothing wrong with it, nothing better. But what Satan tempts her with, if you look at verse 5, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Eve wanted to be like God. She wanted to rule. She wanted to do things her own way. And I think that's very much still the temptation that we can face. We don't want anyone telling us how we should live our lives. You know, I know myself better than anyone. Surely I know what's best for me. The world says, do what's good for you. Do what's going to make you happy. If you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Definitely don't do it for anyone else. You've got to think about yourself. Live for yourself. That's what's going to make you happy. That's what's going to make you successful. Um, we want to be the same as what as what men are like. You know, if men can do it, I can do it. You know, the difference is only physical. There's nothing else. We're exactly the same. People think that being equal means that we have to be exactly the same in everything. We want to be our own God. We want to define ourselves. We want to be independent like God. Uh, this, Satan still says this lie to us, and people still live like this all the time. But when you look around the world, it really hasn't gone too well for us, has it? you think being our own God doing things our own way certainly isn't going too well from what I can see mm. you think of the way the situation of family life these days the dysfunctional families the broken families mm. you know, the divorce rates that are going through the roof and I remember talking to one lady once <coughs> who was a friend who um, was a Christian and um, was leaving her husband and children for no biblical reason and she just said I just think God wants me to be happy and it's like I don't I don't see that in here. Like, I think, like, happy's great, but that's not what primarily we're designed for and God wants for us. Um, we think we see in the abortion. The abortion, you know, it's your body, pro-choice, your body, you choose. No one should be able to tell you what you should do. It's your body. We want to define ourselves. We want to choose ourselves what we want to do. But the truth is, you know, being our own God, it might be well for a little while, feels good for a while, and then kind of the things start falling apart and it comes crashing down because ultimately that is not what we were created for. So the problem with biblical womanhood then is not this, it's not the Bible, it's not Genesis or any other passage in the Bible. The problem with biblical womanhood is us, it's our hearts. It's the fact that we want to be on the throne of our lives and we don't want God there. We want God for what we want, when we want him to come in, he wants to help us now and again, that's good. 
but we don't really want him telling us what to do on a day-to-day basis. All right, in summary then, number one, we are created, which means we have no right to define ourselves. Number two, we are image bearers. We were made for a purpose to reflect God's glory, to reflect his image to the world around us, to glorify him. It is not about us. It is about him. So therefore we need to look to him and his word to find our identity, our purpose, our value, what it means to be a woman. And the problem with biblical woman is, is not the Bible, it is not out of date, it is not irrelevant, it is our hearts. The fact that we want to be God, we want to define ourselves, we want to be on the throne of our lives. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is sufficient for everything. We will find everything we need for life in here. And that includes defining us as women. So therefore it is important that we come back to the Bible for everything. Every question we have, every decision we're making, we should be coming back to what does the the Bible say? I was talking to two women recently, not not in this church. Um, One lady, I had mentioned to her that at the end of last year I'd gone over to a pastors and wives conference with Dave in America. And she's like, oh, Pastors and wives? They're like a pastors and husbands conference? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we are complementarian, which means we wouldn't have um, female pastors. And, and she's like, hmm, I don't know why I think about that. Hmm, I think, I think it's okay for women to be pastors. And I thought the sad thing was, she's just completely going off, what do I think, what do I feel? Whereas what we need to be coming back to is, what does the word say? The same, <coughs> a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was um, talking to a lady who was thinking of coming to visit Sovereign Grace, but she's like, uh, I, I think I've heard that you don't have women preach. And I was like, oh, I hate that question. Right. <laughs> um, I said, and I said, no, we're complementarian. To throw the word out there, hoping that she'd be happy with that and move on. So she's like, oh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so we had a bit of a conversation for a while, just about, you know, uh, what the Bible says about women. And she's like, hmm. I don't know, I think, I know so many women that are good preachers and, you know, men can just be idiots. And I'm like, yes, so can women, you know, we can all be idiots, we are sinners. So um, anyway, the point was, it's like, I just encourage, I said, look, just look into what the Bible says, open the Bible, what does the Bible talk to us about? And that's um, what I want to remind us all this morning, that is what's important. We are not going to think and feel that this is right. Because, to be honest, I don't always think and feel this is right. There's passages I read in the Bible and I give a heart squeeze of, what? Can't mean that. But um, anyway, we need to come back to what the Bible says. And you know, that is what we're going to do this morning. We're actually going to spend some time in different groups. And we're going to look at some particular passages that are written to us as women. Like, obviously, the whole Bible speaks to us as women. But I think we're taught very well through our other church means of... um, of those kind of passages to us group as men and women. So what we want to particularly do in these breakfast times and what the men are doing in theirs, they're looking at things that particularly relate to men, we're looking at things that particularly relate to women, and that's what we want to do this morning. So we're going to break down into um, groups. There's actually some set out upstairs in each office and the uh, middle section, and then we'll, if we have two groups down here, and we're going to look at them. There's different passages up there. So what you need to do is there's probably going to be about seven, I'm guessing, in a group looking at numbers. And you need to pick a spokesperson because we're going to come back together and feedback together as a group at the end. And there's two questions which you have got written down, so don't worry. You don't just scribble these down now. <coughs> two questions we're going to look at is one, what principles does this passage teach us about biblical womanhood? And it's really important that we look at principles and not practices because practices are going to look very different for all of us, both in like the season of life we're in, but also different personalities, different um, 
family lives, different, whatever. Our lives look different. Whatever in, individual situations we're in, they're going to look different. So we're going to look for the principles, and then we're going to look at, okay, what are some of the challenges we can face with the role God has assigned for us with these principles? Where do we, where do we feel that heart tag? Where, you know, what is society? What are the cultural challenges that we face? And I just want to encourage you to dig deep into those passages. Don't just like read it once and look at surface level. Dig, what do the words say? What words do they use? What do they mean for us? And like I've been talking about, just be aware of that heart squeeze. There was one in particular I read, and I'm like, I'm just going to finish that like a, a, a verse earlier because I really don't like that. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. Like, I'm doing exactly what I'm trying to talk to us about not doing. So um, anyway, just be aware of that. What is it I'm not liking about that? Is this something that's wrong with the Bible? Is this something I need to be adjusted in? All right, so we're going to break up into group work. So if we, a few people, there two groups down here. So probably about 14 people uh, down here. And then the rest head upstairs and disperse amongst the groups. Hopefully that will work. We're going to give about 15 minutes, and then we're going to come back together to feedback. Feedback.